Welcome back to the Cheers Education Podcast. I'm Bob. And I'm Zach. We're back here with another episode about teaching uh, in Europe for expats, and we have a special guest with us today, Caleb. Hey guys, glad to be with you. How are you doing today, Caleb? I'm doing well, thanks. I'm coming to you from Prague, where we just got our first snow, so I guess it's a little bit different weather than what you guys have there in Indonesia. I miss the snow. That's one of the most things that I, one of the main reasons to go back home is just to get, put your face in the snow for a bit, actually going home in a couple of weeks. So definitely looking forward to it. Thanks guys. Uh, today we have Caleb <laughs> on the show <laughs> and he's going to be talking a little bit about his experiences in Europe. And you've got quite a bit of experience there, don't you, Caleb? I do. Yeah. Well, it's especially in Europe, like I've Altogether, I think I've spent about eight years in Europe, mostly in the Czech Republic, but also in Germany and France. And then I did English teaching in several places in in Asia, a little bit of education in Africa. So I've been pretty nomadic for most of my adult life, actually. What's the best drink you can possibly get in Prague with alcohol, of course? Well, like this is a country of beer. Um, they Czechs drink more beer per capita by far than any other country. Like no other country comes close. I did in honor of the theme of, of your show. I do have a drink here. I was intending to have a beer in honor of that, that great tradition, but I drank my last beer to get through this week. So I actually have a, have a glass of something called Bekarovka, which is also a traditional Czech drink. And it's made with like over 40 different types of herbs. It has like this very complex taste. So it takes the edge off. That sounds awesome. I need to get myself some of that. How about you guys? Do you have a drink in front of you? Absolutely. Every week. Every <laughs> weekend at least. Right, just just a rum and coke here. In Indonesia, nice. it's, they're not real. They're not too famous on the different kinds of alcohol, so we kind of got to, you know, go with what we can get. Absolutely. Yeah, I've got a sambuca over here. That does sound nice though. Must admit. Yeah, we just my wife and I just ordered a pizza and and now I need a little digestive. It's uh sitting pretty heavy. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So, awesome. So, Caleb, let me ask you. It says on your Twitter account that you've taught abroad. You were a student abroad, a volunteer, a researcher, and a backpacker. And you just said that you spent most of your adult life nomadic. So, other than teaching, what kind of things did you do as a volunteer or as a researcher? Well, I mean, I've I've kind of fallen into different opportunities. I think you, you'll probably also confirm that's one of the, the really great things about being a foreigner abroad is you get opportunities to do things that you never would otherwise, just because you have different skills and different perspectives and can fall into a lot of things. So like at one point I was traveling around India and then at a different point in East Africa, and I knew that I was going to be in each of those places for about six months. And so I was looking for opportunities to just kind of be part of a project for a few of those months. India, like I volunteered at, basically it was it was an orphanage. And so I was there for a few months trying to help out, trying to like build a, a little schoolhouse. And, and then in, in Africa, I uh, got in touch with an NGO there that creates like educational media content for children. But excuse me, they wanted me to, to like do kind of a psychological survey of school children in the area and figure out like what their values are, what their perspectives. And so I got to spend like a couple months going around with the translator and like surveying and interviewing school kids in, in Tanzania. So both of those were volunteer opportunities, but things that I, in one way or another, I kind of sought out. But those are both things that I would never just be able to walk up to some organization in the US and say, hey, I have no real experience, but can I be part of this big project, you know? Um, so those were some of the examples of things I've, I've had the opportunity to do. Wow, that sounds pretty cool. If you had to choose one, if you had to, 
if you had to choose one place out of all the places that you've worked at, what do you think would be the best one where you had the best experience? It's probably really hard to nail down just one, but gun to your head, you had to choose one. What would it be? It would be really hard, but since there's a gun to my head. <laughs> I, got a, I got an itchy trigger finger as well. Goodness, this this escalated quickly. <laughs> I like My first reaction actually is to say something I, I wouldn't entirely expect, but my before coming back to Prague, I was in Thailand for six months. And there I got work like as a digital nomad. So my work was online for like an education company that hosts host study abroad reviews. So the work was was pretty, pretty standard. But because of having work that was completely online, that was kind of an American hour, hourly salary while living in Thailand, the quality of life there and the the ability just to enjoy the environment and kind of work when I wanted to. And it was amazing. Like it was really addictive to have that like really free lifestyle. And I, for the first time, really understood why this whole digital nomad thing is catching on. And I highly recommend it for anyone that has skills that apply to work completely on online. Like if you can untether from a traditional office and just like go wherever you want, like that's the life, man. That sounds pretty good. Go ahead, Zach. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit of your educational background? So uh, you moved abroad, but before you moved abroad, before you came this digital nomad and started going different places, obviously there was some backstory there that we don't have. Well, actually, that, that kind of ties into the opportunities that I have been able to get step by step, because the first place that I came was Prague to teach English, and I had just completed a community college in the States. And like I had always intended just to go straight to a four-year university, but things didn't really work out. I realized how expensive it would be. And I kind of thought, oh, this would be like the perfect time to take a year off and go and teach teach uh, in, uh, in Europe. And here, like I didn't, didn't need a bachelor's degree. I did a one-month TEFL course, which was pretty useful. And I think if you're coming to Europe, it's more important to have a TEFL certificate that shows you're serious about teaching. It's that might actually be more useful than necessarily having a bachelor's degree, unless it's a bachelor's degree in teaching English, you know. So I did that for a few years and then I decided that I wanted to kind of expand my horizons and go to East Asia, where, as you guys know, if you're going to teach in South Korea or Japan, and I think in China, it's actually the law that teachers have to have at least a bachelor's degree. So I went back to the US, finished my bachelor's degree so that I could apply for the JET program in Japan managed to kind of squeak into that program by the, the skin of my teeth. I was on the waiting list for like two months and <laughs> didn't know if I was going to get in. Then a couple of years after doing that, I realized that English teaching was great, but I didn't see like real potential for long-term progression. I mean, you guys probably feel this also is that it's kind of as a native speaker, English teacher, there's kind of one level of it. And it's hard to get promoted as an English teacher. There's no like higher level of English teaching, unless maybe like you go to a university or something. But I knew I wanted to stay in education. So I went, went to school in Europe, got a master's degree. And I think this then kind of wasn't necessary for some of the opportunities I've had since then, but it definitely greased the wheels when it came to trying to get more high level in uh, education consulting jobs like in Africa. And now I'm working in the administration at a university here in the Czech Republic, which I think probably it helped a lot that I had a master's degree before being considered for that job. So at each step, I would, and I actually, this is something I would kind of recommend is not to rush into education, especially in the US where it's so 
so it's so expensive and you don't know if that's what you want to do even five years out. But like when you realize that you know the next step, then kind of decide what education you need to make that step, take the time to do it as part of a very specific objective. And that worked pretty well for me, more or less, and I would recommend it to others rather than saying, okay, I have to I have to get a master's degree in something because people who have master's degrees have great careers. You know, that just doesn't really work anymore. Yeah, I agree. I mean, to some degree, I guess it kind of opens doors that wouldn't be open otherwise. But yeah, I mean, unless you're dead set on it, basically just doing a master's or doing a bachelor's or a tougher certificate or whatever it may be, just for the 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 sheer whatever it is of just just getting it done and doing it so you can be on a level playing field and everyone else it's not really maybe the most advantageous way to look at things i think agree but i think a lot of people do that a lot of people do that here especially even here there's a lot of people who do that including zach and me to some degree (laughs) it's an easy thing to get pulled into i mean i think we 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 do have a culture that says oh if you have these letters after your name you're going to get all the opportunities but because of like massive degree inflation all over the world, I think people are slowly starting to realize that, yeah, I mean, you can get a PhD and still be unemployed. Um, so it's better to be very precise about, <laughs> about why you want this degree and how likely it is to get you to the step that you specifically want. And I've still made some, some mistakes along the way. Like I have, I have probably could count a few years of education that aren't helping me at all and probably won't. But I think kind of taking it one step at a time, there's always time. I was, I was 32 when I entered a master's program and who cares, you know, like, and I was wondering, how is it in Indonesia? Do you have to have a bachelor's degree to teach there like it is in Japan and South Korea? Right. So it's, it's funny you say that, actually, you know, because Zach is working on his on his PhD right now. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm and I'm and I'm 32 and I'm and I just started my master's last year. So we're kind of in that same in that same boat with you as well. But yeah, about the degree. Yeah. Since we, we have a similar experience from you in South Korea, I guess it's a bit different in Indonesia. And it, and it's it's actually changed a bit even since I've arrived here. I mean, a couple of years ago, hmm. you you could just come here with a TEFL certificate and that would have been good enough. But now, now they're they're kind of pushing to have the foreigners who are living here in Indonesia be really qualified and uh, the schools really need them over in Indonesian so that uh, to even be considered for a visa. So even for now, you have to have a bachelor's degree and and it's really difficult to even get a job now if you don't have a bachelor's degree that's in a, a subject related to education or oh, teaching wow. English or something like that too. So it's getting, I mean, it's still possible if you have like a business degree or whatever it is, but it's good. It's moving that way right now. There's not that many expats, there's not that many expats living here in Indonesia actually. Hmm. That is really interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have expected that. Because I, I see the, the market in Southeast Asia really opening up and it seems like they're really trying to attract as many like native speaker teachers as they can. But it sounds like, yeah, at the same time, they're, they're trying to really limit it to, to the highly qualified yeah. people, which I, I think is like the sustainable way to do it. It's just going to take more time. Yeah, I think, I think it's, they're, they're really trying to employ all the Indonesians first because unemployment is still kind of high mm-hmm. here as well. So that... Right. Uh, and, and I think some of it's, it's hard for some, them to see the link as well, like the link between hiring foreigners and then being other Indonesians being provided jobs because foreigners are working there. But it, it's it's a political thing here. And that's just the way it is. Yeah, I think I think I mean, Indonesia, it's a it's a very large population population country. I mean, they're right after the US. But yeah, in terms of expats working here, I think there's far more in Thailand and Korea and Japan mm-hmm. than there are here. Mm hmm. 
It's interesting. I, right now, it's kind of the opposite situation in the Czech Republic because here it's one of the lowest unemployment rates in the world. Like Prague itself has an unemployment rate right now of like 1%. And the, the, the market is just desperate for more workers. So there are more and more foreigners coming in who easily find jobs, especially in the tourism industry. But because of the, the tech industry and the tourism industry is kind of sucking up everyone with foreign language skills, the education sphere is really starting to lack again very very much the way it was like 15 years ago when I first moved here. The difference is that now because the Czech Republic is part of the EU, they don't have as much control over their own immigration policies. So in many cases, it's it's a bit convoluted right now, but I think in most cases, you have to get a work visa before you come to the country. Like it's not that easy to come here on a tourist visa and then look for a job and then try to apply for a work visa. So because of that, there are some like high obstacles to actually get here as a teacher. But if you're ready to face those obstacles and like do the research, do the paperwork and get here, then there's like, there's so many job opportunities. And I think they're not very, the language schools especially are not very picky about what kind of qualifications you have. Like if you're a native speaker, you're ready to, to be in front of students and try to help them improve their English. In many cases, that's kind of good enough for them. On the legal side though, yeah, it's, it's, they've made it kind of, the government has made it a bit difficult to actually get to that point. Pretty interesting. In Prague, for example, you're, you're telling us a little about the visa situation, but what are some good resources, perhaps, that people, potential listeners, uh, if they want to move to the Czech Republic and work, where, would, where should they start even looking? Well, I think they should probably first decide between one of two avenues. One is to kind of go it alone, which, which is a, a big challenge. If you've, never, if you've never lived abroad before, if you've never dealt with visas before, that would probably be a pretty risky route to take because it's very bureaucratic. It's a very complicated process for the visa to know if you're legal, to know if you have to get this or that first. But it is doable. And it's, I would say for people like who want to do it like that, go straight to the source, like go to the the Czech embassy um, website of whatever country you're in. I'm aiming this advice at Americans, especially, but and see like exactly what type of visa category you fit into, what they're requiring, and kind of see if you can go through those steps. The other avenue to go through is the more expensive one, but the easier one, like there are lots of services in the Czech Republic, especially TEFL schools, and like, if you're thinking of teaching English abroad for the first time and you don't have a TEFL certificate, this could actually be a good way to kind of put everything in one basket is you, you apply for one of these TEFL schools. They'll give you a one-month intensive TEFL course. And through that, they'll help you apply for your visa before you arrive. And then once you're there, they kind of walk you through the process of going straight into getting a job after the TEFL course is over. That's not cheap. I mean, the course itself is going to be over $1,000, sometimes more. And then if you're getting all the services like on top of that, it can add up, um, but they make they make the experience really smooth. Just make sure that like it's a really a reputable school because in some ways like there's there's so much profit to be made in that sphere that there's a lot of startups that aren't quite as as reliable as the bigger ones. Then when it comes to looking for a job, like there are lots of lots of sites. The two that come to mind is jobs.cz and expats.cz, which are two, the two biggest kind of forums for looking for a job. And I'm in I'm in a couple of Facebook groups that are great. Like there's jobs for foreigners that has posts like multiple posts every day, everything from teachers to IT workers. There's a group on Facebook called CrowdSauce CZ. And the community there is amazing. Like if you have specific questions, 
people are going to answer and tell you their experience and like try to help you out. So yeah, there are resources there. It's not, it's not an easy process, but again, like that's one of the reasons why there's so many opportunities here because you kind of have to get over those obstacles. And then once you do, you're one of the ones who is actually being recruited and sought after by the, the employers here. So what are some of the different school opportunities? Like you mentioned, there are language centers, but what about working at a university or at a public high school or a private school? Are those opportunities available too? They are definitely the the best and easiest opportunity to find starting off would be a language school. Now, that being said, working at a language school could be a lot of different things. Also, as as you guys know, well, like you might you might actually be placed in a class of preschool kids or you might be sent like to a different group of businessmen like every day of the week. And this this makes the job of of teaching English, which we we talk about it like it's it's one type of job, but depending on who you're teaching and at what level and in what environment and how many students, it can be a completely different experience from from one extreme to the other. And I th- language schools here they kind of cover the gamut of that. They often hire English speakers and then send them to the public schools that that want them. They send them to the companies that have a contract to try to to uh, improve the English of their employees at the company. The the language schools are kind of a forum for people looking for private teachers. So if you're first starting off in Prague, I would say this is the easiest way is to join a language school. And then once you know the the field a bit more and you're making some of your own contacts, you could kind of split off and try to to get some private lessons. It's hard to actually get hired by a, a school unless if you have a lot of experience and you have like, if you have a, a teaching teaching certification, there are international like English language schools here that are kind of the elite jobs. Like they pay very, very well, but you, in most cases, you'll need like teaching credentials from your, from your country. And then uh, once teachers kind of get settled, a lot of them try to break into having full-time like private students that then they can not... They can cut out the middleman of the language school and just set up meetings. This can be hit and miss because if you start having a lot of no-shows one week, it can really hit your income. But yeah, this this is usually the direction that experienced teachers try to move in so they can actually get the full rate the student is paying rather than having you know a, a very large percentage of it going to the to the language school instead of to you who are doing the teaching but yeah i think i think the easiest way is to start with a language school and then see what opportunities they're offering you and it, as, as you guys know it depends each everyone's different some people prefer teaching kids i really prefer teaching like adults in in business classes but all of that's going to start kind of at the the language school level, I would say. And then when it comes to when it comes to living there, what's the average salary, or what 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 do you think the that people who are thinking about moving to Prague or the Czech Republic, what what kind of benefits mm-hmm. are they would they be expecting? You're not going to get rich even more than you're not going to get rich. You probably shouldn't expect to be saving any money if you're just surviving by teaching English in in the Czech Republic. Maybe like an average. What, what do you think for maybe entry level and then people in higher up positions? What what kind of salary can they expect? And then is that enough to live or what kind of lifestyle can you have with that? Yeah, I, I think I think a teacher who really has like pretty close to full time like uh, class load could expect to be making around a thousand dollars a month, something like this. Which then means that especially if you're in Prague, you probably won't be able to afford to rent an, an apartment yourself. On that, most English teachers who are single, they rent a room in a, in a shared flat. 
but if if you if you do take that route like it's definitely enough to to survive on like probably won't be saving very much at the end of the month but you can live comfortably restaurants are really cheap beer is dirt cheap if that's a, a large item in your in your budget it is <laughs> probably probably the largest actually <laughs> No, it is like beer. the 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 going joke is that beer is cheaper than water in many restaurants in in Prague, and it it actually can can be true. How much is a beer there in dollars? A large beer. So let's say like a half liter could be something like a dollar fifty, and it's really really good beer. The, the Czechs awesome. claim it's the best beer in the world. Like if if you like that kind the kind of um pale ale type of type of beer, like. It's they the Czechs definitely like to claim that it's the best in the world. There's not a lot of variety, I have to say, but it's pretty good stuff. It's better than American beer. <laughs> There's probably more variety than there is here. They've got about two or three, maybe five brands, and that's about it. So yeah, yeah. So back to, to cost of living. Yeah, I mean, if if you have a full class load, like you can you can definitely survive pretty well and still have a, a comfortable lifestyle. Then if you start like adding in some private classes that are usually between $10 and $15 per class hour, if it's a private lesson. And I would say it's compared to Japan, for example, where you can go there, actually have a really nice lifestyle and save money. The benefits of coming here are not financial, but the quality of life here is really good. In the, especially in the last 15 years, Prague has really developed as a great city to live in. It's one of the safest cities in the world. They're all year round. There are festivals and cultural activities and like food fairs and you, you, you can't get bored here. There's there's a very vibrant like expat scene as well. Um, it's in the center of Europe. So anytime you want to take a trip to in an hour, you can be to almost any like any of the hotspots of Europe. So just the experience, I think, is especially for people who are abroad for the first time, a great kind of first experience of that, you know, the English teacher abroad type of experience. So what's your best experience? And you got anything, any special story that's close to your heart or any kind of maybe something funny that you can tell us that give us a little laugh here? The first the first time I met Zach, we were teaching in South, we were teaching in South Korea, actually. And uh, we, I got lucky because we were in a small village of like 5,000 people, if that. And uh I met him and then we actually went out. I mean, just like I joined a Facebook group and they all had a night out at a barbecue place and I met up, met up with them there. And then the first bar we went to after the barbecue place, we're going up the stairs and Zach says, come on, let's go. It's the weekend. And he starts running up the stairs and he fell down the stairs and on top of me. And we, we rolled down like, I mean, it's, it's, it's comical. Like we rolled down and then like turned over and rolled over the other, down the other flight of stairs. Like, yeah, that was a, a great start to the friendship there. I always knew that I'd be friends with him after after that. To this very day, he's still you know the guy who uh, softens my my falls. So in more in more ways than one. So he's a good friend that way. And he he absor- I absorbed all of the blows as well because he landed on top of. <laughs> your your friendship started out with a great metaphor for what kind of friendship you were going to have, like. So you, you like to speak quite a bit about uh, culture shock, and we've watched some of your videos, and then we'll share them later in the credits so other people can see it. Living in Prague, is there anything that you think you should warn people about to be prepared for in terms of culture shock? It is, yeah. I mean, culture shock is is a topic I've gotten really fascinated by. Yeah, I, th- I think on, on two levels. Like, first, I would say just elements of culture shock for Americans coming here. 
it's it's funny. I think Americans coming to Europe, it's kind of a special breed of culture shock because it's it's all about expectations. And if we as Americans, like if we go to to India or Indonesia or Africa, like we expect, okay, this is going to be really really different, and we kind of brace ourselves for it. it. There's still moments that are shocking, but it's that's kind of par for the course. Coming to Europe, I feel like many, especially young Americans, kind of think, oh, you know, it's like America, except with castles and uh, things should be familiar. And it's like what I saw in the movies. And because of the expectations that it won't be that different, often the the adjustment period is sometimes harder because you don't realize that, in fact, like, it's not it's not that easy. There's a different language. There's a different perspective on things. There's a different history. There are different challenges to your your own perspective and behavior and culture that you don't expect. So sometimes this can actually hit hit kind of hard. And some of the specific things for Americans that might be strange here is. Um, well, just the, the the culture with alcohol actually is there's zero taboo about alcohol and there's there's very little drunkenness, but still you'll have people, you know, go out during their their work break from the office. Like I go out with my with my colleagues from the university for lunch and we'll all have, you know, a beer for lunch. It's just a very kind of permissive attitude about alcohol. I remember my a roommate that I had for a year, I would wake up at like 7:30 or something to go to work and he would be getting ready for for work and have his breakfast beer it's just it's yeah and we've got a friend like that as well i mean there's there's nothing wrong with that it's just a different a different mentality about it for some <laughs> americans that could seem kind of weird a few other things like that like that also yeah. but there are things like that i think the more important sure. thing for me to try to tell people is to not worry too much about culture shock in the sense that you're going to like see something and be shocked and this is going to like shake your understanding of the world and like this almost never happens uh, especially in Europe there's nothing that like stops you in your tracks and you just like are slack jawed you know in the middle of the street or something because most people don't experience that then they think that they have no problems with the cultural adjustment at all and the much more important and more insidious thing to be aware of is something that I like to call culture fatigue and this is something that I think everyone deals with because it's just that fact that everything around you is new and you're the, the unspoken signals that you're getting from people, your brain is realizing that you're getting kind of a different message, but you can't quite figure out what's going on. You need, you're meeting new people, you're hearing new languages around, and you don't realize how much your brain is trying to process all of this new stuff and it just gets exhausting. And so I think a lot of people when they're abroad for the first time or second time or third time, they'll kind of hit a wall and just feel really tired and irritable and just kind of want to be a couch potato at home, but not really understand what's happening to them. They think they're like getting kind of closed minded or something. And this happens to everyone. It's part of the experience. I think the important thing is just to realize that you need to give yourself a break sometimes, that you're going through a lot, much more than you realize, because it may not look really foreign around you, but it's all new and it's all different. And it's the same as if you were going to a new school across the country and making new friends and having a new home and trying to figure out where to do your grocery shopping and all of this. It's that, except in a foreign language, in an environment that you're not familiar with at all. So it's completely natural to be, you know, kind of tired sometimes. That being said, because of that, it means it never gets boring. Like it's challenging and there are some hard days, but that's why I keep doing it and have kept doing it for like 15 years. Cause it's just, there's something about that discovery that is 
hard at times, but you always feel like you're doing something, you're learning something, like you're growing as a person. And this is actually in a, a really addictive experience. I'm sure you guys could could say the same. Definitely. You know, actually, when you're when you're when you're talking about the stop in your tracks situations, you don't have many of them. You know, I remember when I was living in Korea. The this is like when I first moved there, and Zach can attest to this as well. <laughs> my my first apartment that they gave me it, it was like a a fallout shelter kind of. I don't know what I don't know how else to describe it. It was not a nice place to live, and and it was attached to some other some old people's house also. <laughs> So like they they had half the house and I had half the house and it was just a weird situation. And then I remember like a month or so after I moved in there, I was going out of the house to go and do something or whatever. And the old woman who lives next to me is like topless, like uh, soaping up her boobs right outside of her house, like right in front of her house. And she's got them in like a pail, like a bucket, you know, like she's put her boobs in a bucket and soaping them down. And then I look at her and she just laughs at me. That <laughs> I just like, I don't know, I just started running, I guess, so... In Korea, there was there's there's quite a few stop in your tracks moment, but uh, I guess Prague's a little bit safer. Well, this this definitely happened to me in in Asia, especially. I mean, most of my real like those culture shock moments come from from India. I do have one from the Czech Republic. I mean, in general, things are just things appear much more familiar in Europe. So it's rare to have those moments of like, oh my God, what the... But I do have one that I always go back to is the first time I was here for Christmas, I like walked by a Christmas market and there was like a crowd of people around this big like tank of of water. It was like the size of one of those portable uh, swimming pools, you know, the little toddler pools. And people were like crowding around it. And I went up to it and looked and it was full of these big fish, like two foot and a half, two foot long fish, carp, to the point that, you know, the surface of the water was, you know, really like, like splashing around. And I was trying to figure out what was going on. It's like, okay, is this, this must be some Christmas tradition or something. Everyone gets a pet fish or like what's happening. And this little like five-year-old girl was at the edge of the pool, really happy, like intently looking at the fish. And I was watching her and then she looks up at her mother, like points at one of the fish and the, the owner of this stall comes up with a net, like nets that fish. The little girl's looking at it, like all happy. And the guy takes it, throws it down on a, like a, a, a log, pounds it over the head several times with a hammer and then puts it in a bag and hands it to the little girl. And she happily walks off with this fish. And this, and this is how I learned that the Christmas meal in the Czech Republic is carp. And this little girl had the honor of going and choosing the sacrificial Christmas carp for their meal. As an American, like you guys know how we don't like to know that our meat comes from animals. And we try to protect our kids from the knowledge that an animal died for the sake of us eating meat, you know. But this little girl, you know, it's like, oh, that one looks delicious. I'll take that. Like, kill that one for me. I'll have it. Fa la 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 la. <laughs> exactly. So if there's one piece of advice that you can give to our listeners that you wish you would have known back when you were first going out, what would it be? As cliche as this sounds, that everything kind of works itself out. There's reason to be concerned about all the unknown things that you're going to face if you're going abroad for the first time. But don't get like bogged down in that. It's absolutely worth it to have the experience of, of going to a foreign country and the details are going to work themselves out. Like you're going to have some, some, some days when it seems like everything is kind of collapsing around you, 
but it's really it's really worth like facing the possibility of having a few days like that for the experience of just how horizon broadening the experience is to to live in in foreign countries so i would say like just be bold and know that you're going to find a solution for whatever problems you face when you face them don't try to have every single duck in a in a row and to feel like you're in control of the situation because a part of being a foreigner is you're just not in control and you have to have a certain comfort level with that. I think that especially applies to when you first start teaching because no matter how much training you've had, and most of us like as English teachers abroad, we don't have that much training going into it. I, I don't know what you guys would say in with your experience in Asia, but when I first started teaching in Europe, especially the Czech Republic, it was very much like throw him in the deep end and he'll figure out how to teach. Like the first time I was really in front of a class, it was like 25, 18 year olds. And basically the owner of the language school just said, okay, the, the students are in there, go teach them. And this was like my first class, you know, and it was a disaster, but it, it works itself out and it's, it's all worth it in the end. So I think that's the value of just a deep breath sometimes is, yeah, is kind of incalculable. Your your first experience of being thrown did, did you kind of have that thrown in the deep end oh, yeah. experience when you first started yeah. teaching yourselves? Definitely, yeah, definitely, absolutely, <laughs> right. It's the same, almost exactly the same experience. Actually, you know, here's the book that we use. Here's the class. The kids are in there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Go ahead, go go on in there yeah, and uh, let me know how it goes later if you have any problems. And you know what? I think that's it's not really a it's it's a unique experience in Asia, but I think in the, in teaching in general, it's it's kind of like that. We we talked about mm-hmm. that kind of when we did we did a podcast about new teacher induction, and I guess there's kind of a changing tide now in how teachers are kind of inducted into schools, which is good. But a lot of pe- people, you know, they just use the mentality like we want we only want the strong people to be here. So if they can't make it on their right. own right. Uh, in the classroom, then we don't really want them anyway. But, you know, from, from all the research that I've done and that has kind of tested this as well, a lot of times that, that ends up getting the really worthwhile people out of the profession. And then people yeah. who just have no other options kind of stay sometimes, but no, not all the time. But uh, it's really uh, it's definitely something for sure. But it, it would it would definitely, I think, be better to have a lot more support for teachers and an understanding of of what we do unfortunately that's still not not the norm so i think anyone who's coming into this field still needs to be prepared to just yeah be thrown in the deep end but also to know that that everyone goes through that and if if your administrators are ready to just throw you in the deep end it means that they probably also don't care about every little detail or little mistake that you might make you know i think in the beginning most people are pretty paranoid about making a mistake with grammar or or saying something wrong or or not controlling the class in, in exactly the right way but if they're not training you for this then they probably aren't really prioritizing it anyway so i think i was paranoid in the beginning that my school administrator would like come into class at exactly the wrong time and realize i was making mistakes that i didn't know what the hell I was doing. But in fact, I never saw no one ever came to my classes once to observe and to make sure that I was doing a good job. So fortunately for them, I I did learn to do a good job, but they didn't know. And to a certain extent, they didn't really care. As long as the students weren't leaving the classes, they they were fine. Well, it was really a a pleasure having you on here. (laughs) 
Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity, guys. And I really, I really like your your project. Like the the episodes that I've listened to, I really, I, I know I said this in Twitter comments, but I'm going to emphasize it to your listeners also that I really appreciate how you guys balance the the difficulties and the challenges of living abroad, but really, I feel like perfectly balance it with the rewards and why we should like face that challenge and that it's worth it in the end. So I I, I love how you guys present present these issues, and I hope you keep doing that because it's it's a really Really great experience to advocate. I think especially for young Americans these days, it's something that the world really needs. More people getting out there and understanding the world a bit better. You know what I really appreciate though, Caleb? You've given me the ability to self-diagnose myself with culture fatigue because I'm irritable and tired all the damn time. So now I, so now I know that's got to be the reason. <laughs> so you can you can tell your your significant other like, well, come on, it's it's culture fatigue. What do you want from me? Like. That's right. The, the, but you you said you're going home in a couple of weeks, right? So the question is, if you find yourself being irritable and tired when you're, when you're back home, it, it's always possible that it's just you, man. So it's definitely just him. <laughs> it is a factor, though. I mean, spending years and years abroad, it it can start to change your personality, and in, in definitely in some good ways. I think it it. It cultivates a lot of patience, a lot more kind of calm and acceptance that things are going to work out. At the same time, surprisingly, in the long term, I found that it can make people a little less social and less ready to kind of be with groups of people all the time, just because it's it. We're kind of dealing with more things to process as foreigners than than we would be in our in our home country, and I think that's. That's okay. It's just a matter of accepting it and finding the what whatever kind of lifestyle works for us in that environment. Well, yeah, really. Once again, really appreciate the opportunity, guys. And yeah, I hope we'll hope we'll stay in touch. If you have like specific questions about teaching in Europe or especially the Czech Republic, I'll definitely do my best to try to get that information to you. For sure. Well, what we'll also do, Caleb, is we'll put up the the link to a couple of your videos on YouTube that you did about culture fatigue. That sounds great. Yeah, yeah, we'd love to yeah continue to collaborate and things like this. Great. Thanks again for coming on the show. It was nice to have you. Bob, are you ready to finish your drink and call it a night? I know. I, I just, I saved the last gulp for just this moment here. So let's go ahead and do a little cheers. Hey, and early, early Merry Christmas, guys. All right. Cheers, everybody.